This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. <laughs> just what you looking at? Just looking at my notes. Just looking at the words David Herbert Lawrence in my David notes. David Herbert Lawrence. I don't. Yeah, because I don't have any. Fu- I didn't have any funny. Like I looked at the the words of the title, Lady Chatterley, Chatterley's Lover. You just looked at the, the words in the. T- <laughs> Which is the name of the book that we're going to read this week on our yeah. book podcast? And I didn't know, like, little funny, like, 30 second skit came to mind. So I don't have an intro. Yeah, I didn't have then one. I thought you, then I thought you were going to have an intro, and then you didn't have one. Well, so now neither of us has an intro. Yeah. So I, I say the thing at the top. Mm-hmm. And then we don't, we don't, sometimes one of us says this, and sometimes the other. This is a podcast where, like, yeah. one of us reads a book mm-hmm. and then tells the other person about it. Mm hmm. That person hasn't read the book for the episode usually, mm-hmm. uh, and by and large, it's a book that we've never read before. The person reading it, yeah, that's the premise of the show. Yeah, uh, sometimes we have other things to say first, mm-hmm. but not this time. Not this time. I've just I've been up since five thirty this morning. Yeah, energy energy rolling into the show. I think for both of us is pretty good. So if we, <laughs> but I think if I say the words, David Herbert Lawrence was born. In 1885, and he died in 1930. I feel like if I start there, then we can just kind of swing through to the end. Yeah, I feel like you just grabbed me by the collar and said, we will get through this. We will do it. David Herbert Lawrence is an author of Lady Chatterley's Lover and other books. Born in 1885, died in 1930. He's an English modernist writer, uh, best known for novels including Sons and Lovers. That's one book. It's not two books. Uh, the Rainbow, yep. Women in Love, and Lady Chatterley's Lover. Yep. He also wrote many, many short stories. He wrote some poems. He wrote a few plays that mostly didn't get put on till after he died. I had never heard um, of him writing plays until I did research for this here for, show. Yes. So yeah, yeah. So not 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 really well known for his plays, but he did dabble in oil painting, which sounds nice. Hey, why not? Um, has a big like outsized footprint in Taos, no, New Mexico, like yes. culture. <laughs> Because well, he yeah. had a ranch there for a long time, which I think now is owned by the University of New Mexico. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and the thing to know about David Herbert Lawrence is that his works are like best known for their depiction of like sex and sexual attraction, including like, same-sex attraction in some cases. Cool. Um, many of his books, including Lady Chatterley's Lover, were at least temporarily banned um, though the school he went to is now named after him. So I feel like it's safe to say that he won this one. Like his literary <laughs> contributions have been reassessed yeah. in the years since he died. And a lot of that was actually, there was a lot of uh, like high profile landmark obscenity law cases involving Lady Chatterley 
in the like the 50s and 60s. Yep. The, the biggest ones are happening in the U.S. and the UK. the U.K., but there are also ones happening in Canada and Japan and India. Like not all of those come down on the side of this being like a significant work that deserves to be published. But, you know, a lot, a lot of people were thinking about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he'd been, you know, this wasn't like his first if somebody picked this up, like some guy wrote, it's like no, like this is a guy whose stuff had been published. We'll talk about the trials individually, I think, yeah, at yeah. some point. But just mm-hmm. like this wasn't a one-off, like you know, self-published smut rag, which like he no, paved this is, the way for yeah. those to exist. You know, <laughs> this is a this is a one of his last. I think is his last his novel last, or one of his yeah. last novels. Um, yeah, he was he was known like he just didn't have a great reputation partly because of all the the sex stuff yep partly because like he had uh married a woman named frida who had german parents and this combined with like him being really uh uh, vehemently like anti-war and like pro-communism led him to be harassed a lot in britain during uh, world war one sure uh which was like they were accused of signaling to German submarines during World War One, <laughs> like, and I don't know how much truth there is to that. But like even as late as like 1929, I think he put on like a there was a there was a, an art gallery that was showing some of his paintings, and it was like raided by the my God. by the military or something. Jeez. So yeah, he was he was being he was being harangued a lot. But okay. yeah, as as a result of this happening to him in his home country, he did travel a lot. He uh, he kind of did, uh, in the last like decade or fifteen years or so of his life, he was on kind of a self imposed. He was in self imposed exile. Yeah, no one made him um, leave. No one Except made him leave, did, but he he decided know. to yes, he decided to leave. So he traveled all over the place. He was all over in Europe. Um, he was in, but yeah, he was he ended up in New Mexico for many years. It was like an artist ran- commune there, or something. Yeah, like right? owned owned a ra- like his. I think it was in his wife's name, but they owned a ranch. Tried to start sort of a communist utopia. Not a lot of people actually ultimately showed up for, mm. for that. Like a lot of people were kind of supportive, but not a lot of people showed up. People had stuff going on, I'm sure. People had stuff going on, but he was in poor health for for most of his life, and he had, he did end up going back to uh, Europe because of this. He left. He spent the last couple of years of his life um, mostly in like near Florence, which is yep. where the first version of Lady Chatterley was like privately published in i think 1928 and then it was published more widely in 1929 um so that book this book is arguably inspired by his wife frida's affair with angelo Ravagli, who was a guy who lived with them on this new mexico commune <laughs> and it was a weird writing process like I, I guess he essentially rewrote the book from scratch three times and I'm not sure that all of these like survive in published form, but there's a shorter one referred to as the first lady Chatterley, which doesn't have as much sex as the final version. And there's a second one, which is much longer, but it's not as angry. So, so I've read as the, as the final, one. <laughs> um, sometimes this is referred to as John Thomas and lady Jane. Oh yeah. Is, uh, did you, did you know why it's yeah. euphemisms for genitalia? Uh huh. And then the third version eventually becomes this more widely published version. Yeah, that's a good that's a good note just to say, like, we I don't think we need to get super 
explicit and raunchy in this episode. No, I mean it's best, not. It's not. It's not Christmas. Come it's on, it's not Christmas. But it is probably best to proceed with like a PG thirteen mentality, where we are going to be talking about a book in which part of the reason it is a well known work of literature is that people had sex in the book, and the people book describes it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. If that means, you know, you wait to finish this until you're by yourself, this podcast that is. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> so, okay. Let's talk about the trials just a little bit. I don't know what notes you have on this, but I have I have a, like a high level summary. Please. Um, so in the U.S., this book is banned for obscenity by U.S. Customs in 1929. I, that's uh, the, the one where like the post office is like, we will not ship this around. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's gross. And there were there were like senators who were working on a like a tariff bill at the time, and and somebody was trying to get some of these obscenity provisions lifted, and some and another senator like referred to Lady Chatterley's lover by name as like a mm. reason why we can't allow all these smutty books into our great. <laughs> oh <age>. no! <laughs> so in uh, there's this court case in 1959 uh, that is successful. Uh, and establishes this standard of, uh, quote, redeeming social or literary value yeah, as a way to get around uh, these obscenity bans. And that leads to the first uh, unexpurgated version of the book being published in 1959. Then in 1960, the publisher Penguin publishes a UK edition. Yep. Uh, following the conclusion of this U.S. trial, which becomes another trial, uh, R versus Penguin Books Limited. Yep. I believe is the name. Also called the Lady Chatterley Trial. Uh-huh. And similarly in the UK, uh, you know, the, the defense argues for the book's cultural significance as a shield against censorship and obscenity bans. If you read a little bit about just like the, the back and forth between the defense and uh, prosecution, it's interesting because it sounds like the prosecution, or at least to, to read the closing statement from the defense, it sounds like the prosecution mostly just like picked the dirtiest uh, most offensive snippets of it they could and read them out loud and then said, aren't you offended by this? Does, so, isn't this horrible? <laughs> so I don't know if you came across, there was an Esquire article from 2022 because there was a Netflix adaptation of this book mm-hmm. recently mm-hmm. Um, called Inside the Game Changing Trot. <laughs> Inside the Game Changing Trial. Inside the Game. <laughs> That's a lot. The line break got me. Inside the Game Changing Trial of Lady Charlie's Lover by Adrian Westenfield. Um talks about how there was a UK obscenity law that had been revised and was recently on the books as of 1959 or so. Mm-hmm. And so Penguin, as to your point, after the US trial, but also knowing that like they could now test this law in the courts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the law had a carve-out for like public good artistic merit that the previous versions of British law didn't have. Yeah. So this was going to happen. And the other thing in that Esquire article that gets brought up, it's an interview. Um, the interviewee talks about like Penguin was also selling it as a paperback, mm-hmm. and they make this like equal right to buy what smut you want, what artistic smut you want argument because mm-hmm. like Lolita had been out there, but was like only like sophisticated people paid to read Lolita. Sure, like, yeah. <laughs> there, there's this kind of like anybody should be able to you know read a book that is both artistic and sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Which is, uh, oh, and there's also there's a part in that trial where the prosecutor is like, "Is this that quote? Is this that good quote? Yeah, this the is one, my favorite quote about the, get, in the hit whole me thing. With this quote, it's so good. It's, it's a guy, some stuffed shirt idiot who would be the <laughs> villain in a Muppet movie would say this. Would you approve of your young sons, young daughters, because girls can read as well as boys reading this book? Is it a book you would have lying around your own house? Is it a book that you would even wish your wife or your servants to read? Your wife or your servants is the part that really gets me. That's just, you couldn't be more, you could not seem more out of touch. No. Nope. You couldn't, you, there's no way to do it. You, nope. Would you want your servants to read this book? There's. Would you want your servants to play this violent video game? <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, and there are like, there are poems, there are lots of contemporaneous articles that reference, like, Lady Chatterley and the Beatles as being, like, integral to the sexual revolution of the 60s in the UK. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, this is... Because uh... yeah, the Beatles tell, tell you all about, like, holding hands. Yeah. And like yeah. the the basic stuff, and then Lady Chatterley gets you into when did the, when the did I, I want to do it in the road? <laughs> that was not until like 1968. Okay, so after this trial, that was well after everybody. Yes, that was that was well after this. Okay, just checking. No, that was not a cut off of their like first album. <laughs> <laughs> Help! I want to do it in the road. That um, still would have been 1965. That's still pretty late, Okay, that's, yeah, yeah, you have all the dates in your brain. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, it's the boomerest thing about me, I, I just, I just take you on a magical mystery tour of my body. <laughs> um, <laughs> the other inspiration that I saw, Andrew, the Frida thing is the, is definitely for real. His wife, Frida. Um, the, there's a Guardian article that I read about the real lady, Chatterley, who may or may not have been this woman named Lady Adeline Morell, who was a society hostess that a bunch of like the authors of the time ran around in her circle. Mm-hmm. And she also had a, you know, a fling with a young stonemason. Um, and like everybody knew about it. And some of the letters with like Virginia Woolf kind of reference uh, Chatterley, at least, you know, this woman interpreted Chatterley as maybe being about her or other yeah, people sure. did, whether or not that mm-hmm. was totally the case. But mm-hmm. um, so, yeah. yeah, I think the sort the source for the the affair with his with his wife is from like her letters. I think. Oh, sure. Like, I yeah, think yeah. it's close to close to firsthand. I don't know. They well, ever actually sat down and said I think, what it was. And about. some yeah. of this, like who is the inspiration stuff? I think, you know, sometimes that feels really uh, not useful to a discussion of a book. Yeah, sometimes it's really vital context, and sometimes it's just trivia. And I think in this case, it's mostly trivia, it, but... It know. is, but also, he, he... Okay, the character... The book is called... I read it. The book is called Lady Chatterley's Lover. Mm-hmm. The lover, mm-hmm. of which she has two in the book, but the so one... So should have been Lady Chatterley's Lovers. I think so. But mm-hmm. who am I to say? I mean, I think maybe you're asking for it to be even even more quickly banned. <laughs> like not only is this lady having sex with, but but she's having sex with multiple lovers. <laughs> what? My uh, monocle just fell into my gin. She, would you want your servants to read <laughs> this book? What kind of ideas are your servants going to get from this? The main lover of the book, um, this guy, uh, Oliver Merrill, Oliver Malor, excuse uh-huh. me, Malor, mm-hmm. Malor, Malor. Um, <laughs> He is uh, 
a gameskeeper on the ground on her husband's grounds. And he is of a coal miner background, and he is this like intellectual but also salt of the earth guy who probably could in another life, you know, be part of the high society, but he wants to get back to his roots and he doesn't think much of modern the modern world. Mm-hmm. And he is a version of D.H. Lawrence, I am led to understand. Like, Yeah, I don't think David Herbert Lawrence cared to... I mean, he just had a lot to say about industrialization yeah. in the modern world. Yep. Um, but, he, but like... He did try to leave it and live on a ranch in New Mexico. Yeah, for real. With all his pals, yeah. Um, he, but David Herbert Lawrence, son of a coal miner, um, you know, left school to start working and then got pneumonia this character has had pneumonia his whole life on and off and on like there's lots of little details that are like hey this is sort of my deal and -hmm. then there's also the like worldview where like oh yeah this this feels like the author talking sometimes yeah yeah it's always hard to to it because he was so prolific lawrence was and he wrote and he went all over the place and it feels like every for every place he traveled he had some kind of short story about it and so yeah like with that kind of volume inevitably there will be stuff where it's just a very thin layer of like fictionalization over stuff that actually happened but it's it's hard to to especially with this this novel that's written very late in his life and it's like the third draft of it that he did yeah yeah <laughs> like how how directly should we be reading the author in into this i don't know like i don't know maybe that's but useful maybe there's fun not. stuff there yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the author is literally dead, so you can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah, dead the author. So my my so okay to get us into this. Yeah. Let's just let's just let's just nude up like conversationally Wait, and get right to the what nude, nude and get right to nude up. Yeah. Get right to brass tacks. Not nude down. No. 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 Okay. Um. So sometimes we read books for the show. I think I'm thinking of Peyton Place. Is one oh of them. sure. Sometimes you read ones that are that were like infamous for how scandalous they were. Yeah. And then you read them, and it's like, well, I saw a girl's ankle or something, or like, sure, <laughs> or like sure. a girl held somebody's hand without, uh, without being betrothed to them. Like this, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. How salacious does this book actually read now that we are coming up on like a hundred years since it came out? Um, like, does it is the impact of it deadened a little bit by the passage of time and all the you know the new promiscuity that we're all surrounded by all the time because of the trials that this book won yeah you know what i mean you know what i'm asking okay i do i know exactly what you're asking and it was the book on oddly enough the book kind of goes on this journey like i don't think the book's goal is to titillate i don't think its goal is not it is not like her night with Santa. It is not. I I feel comfortable being I one mean, of the few, first few, bu- few book books are critiquers of any kind to put these two books next to each other. Um, <laughs> it is not trying to arouse you. I don't think, um, except to arouse your discontent Cur- with cu- the curiosity. modern world. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but it is. More graphic than I expected, or at least speaking more graphically than I expected. Mm -hmm. There are F-bombs in this book. 
there are the c word in this book Ooh. a lot oh no um and not in an listen, insulty and, and way listen the, those two words also appear in her night with santa we're just gonna well, keep okay to continue to compare um, the two books well no one in her night with santa refers to anal sex as the italian way but that does happen in this book no that is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> it's like really like what are we talking about that is that is the funniest thing i've ever heard <laughs> no um yeah uh, there is a scene in which um, you know, and I've I've seen rom coms. I know people name their genitalia, but it was kind <sighs> of shocking to me to have a an extended sequence in 1928 in which a man referred to his penis as John Thomas mm-hmm. and said that his Tom that John Thomas wanted Lady Jane. And I can read the long pat, but it is. You know, it's a book that that <laughs> will use the c word, but will also use euphemisms like "mound of Venus." Yeah, mm-hmm. just to give that's like the kind of the spectrum of language we're working with. Here. Yeah, because you're kind of you're trying to be artistic about it, you know. Yeah, and poetic about it. I think that is like most of the when people are having sex, there is like discussion of orgasms, and there is discussion of like. Uh, how it feels and and things like that, but it is like most of those scenes still have it wrapped up in kind of the emotional or sp- emotional experience of the character while it's happening. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it still is keeping its its literary hat on even when all of the other clothes have come off. You know well, what I mean? Protection is very important. <laughs> Yeah, does that answer your question or give you a sense of of my read on what's happening here? Yeah, yeah, I th- I think I get it. Like it's it's still like even if maybe you we in 2024 are not going to be as scandalized by somebody talking about a penis. Yeah. You can't escape the fact that the sort of mechanics of the uh, of the sexual act or of like sexual attraction like it's still laid out and depicted here yeah does that make sense way more so than i than i would expect for other compared to other books that we have read and been like oh people were scandalized by this totally totally, yeah 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 like like those books i i think stayed their descriptions and their language was at a high enough level that it was hard for us to be scandalized by it because we don't have the same like mores and yeah. and and things whereas here not not to say that we're scandalized no. but you know there's st- you're still w- when it comes time to describe like the physics of what having sex is there's only so many like ways to to do it yes know? and and he's not taking any pain he's not when he's using euphemisms it's not because he doesn't want to say the words it's because he already said the words and now he wants to say something else <laughs> yeah for a exactly, minute yeah exactly. <laughs> okay um so the the people having sex in this book let's talk about them okay um lady chatterley lady chatterley it? having mm-hmm. sex uh her husband clifford chatterley not having sex uh-oh now let me boing, this boing. is where it is it is perhaps useful to know that this book is deeply ableist uh cool. and in a way that like 
I don't like there are plenty of books that you should read for all sorts of reasons. This book being deeply ableist is a great reason not to read. <laughs> like, so you bring that up so early. Like, how does that how does that matter? her husband Clifford, mm-hmm. um, who is the he is a, he is an aristocrat. Um, here's how it's here's how it's the aristocrats uh, laid out. Clifford Chatterley was more upper class than Connie. Um, Connie is Lady Chatterley. Connie was well-to-do intelligentsia, but he was aristocracy. Not the big sort, but still it. So he is like small-time aristocracy from coal country, Middle England, Mm -hmm. uh, Midlands. And that's where um, Lawrence is from and his whole family's from. She's middle-class Scotch. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. So he's... Like high class, but not so high class as to have power. Yep. And it's hereditary, so he's not high class because he's interesting. Yep. And she is a smarty pants and she is she feels just kind of unchallenged by bit. him or like unengaged by him. Well, intelligentsia not even meaning that she is like a particular smarty pants, but that she is educated. Yeah. Okay. And then kind of moves in can move in spaces where learned people move. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she and her sister Hilda spent time in their late teens in Germany, and each, as the book <laughs> describes it, says, uh, gave the quote gifts of themselves or had the love experience. <laughs> <laughs> this is a book that uses, like, that explicitly talks about penises and phalluses mm-hmm. and things, and then we'll say stuff like, but also the love the, experience. Yeah, the love experience. Like, it's one of those, like, those tester machines that you <laughs> yeah. see in a bar. Um, the love testers. So her and her sister each, like, you know, bone down with some guys in Germany. Like a pickup line, do you think, if I walk up? The, I mean, not that I'm picking up a lot of people now or ever, but... Yeah, sure. <laughs> just, like, in general, if you walked up to somebody, it would be like, hey, do you want to have the love experience with me? Do you, like, is that... <laughs> I feel like when you say with me, it weakens oh, okay. the It weakens line. it? Okay, that's, yeah. see, that's the kind of note that I that I wanted to get. That's why I ask. Because okay. I feel like if you just say, do you want to have the love experience? Like, that's an opening to a conversation. See, I need to I need to think of a word that's better than have, but is not the word Ooh. experience again. Do you Are want you to open to the love experience? Do you want to endure the love experience? <laughs> not endure, no. <laughs> we don't, no, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> we're we're gonna workshop this. Are you ready? You Are past- you ready for the love experience? Ooh, yes, that's good. That's active. Uh, brace, not brace yourself for the love experience, right? Because I see. Are you ready? Invites a quick yes or no answer. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah right. Okay, mm-hmm. good. All right. This is keep thinking on this, Andrew. Okay, sure. If anything else crops up, I will noodle on this somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So she comes back. Her her sister comes back. They come back from Germany as like the tensions in World War One start creeping in. And she meets Clifford, and they get married, and then he gets sent off to war, and he is paralyzed from the waist down during the war. Mm-hmm. So he cannot have sex. He cannot produce his own heir. He is the only son in the family alive left to do such a thing. And they live at this estate, Ragby, uh, outside of a town. Or It's one of those things... I don't know how much Downton Abbey did you watch? You're uh, like none. <laughs> okay, but there's I know there's that guy with that voice. What? There's a guy who has just like a really deep, sonorous voice. Sure, there on is Downton a... Abbey. Okay, that's so that's what I know. Is Great. that helpful? 
It's not, but <laughs> okay. there's a you know there's an estate, and the aristocrat who lives on that estate uh, either owns or did own or has some sort of paternalistic relationship to the town around the estate. Mm-hmm. Where like in this case, um, the the Chatterley family like own these coal pits, and so there's this like coal worker community. This book might resonate with folks in coal country you know Mm -hmm. um it is very much about how like this coal pit is dying and what are these workers gonna do and like what if they go on strike let's get let's get joe manchin on and talk about lady chatterley's lover i can't can't wait to hear his opinions on lady chatterley's lover yeah he might institute reinstitute a post office ban are are you he joe manchin can would you like to (laughs) have the love experience (laughs) with us Please listen to my prog rock band, Joe Manchin's Love Experience. <laughs> uh, the so they so they live in this the, they live on their estate. They're not really connected to the town because they're the only you know he's the only I think his father's still alive, but his sister decamped because she didn't like that he got married. Um, and so like he's the guy, right? Yeah, and uh. He's not. He doesn't really have community. He has his wife, Connie, mm-hmm. and she's doing the best she can with him. But like, they don't have a physical relationship. And the thing that kind of takes up most of their time in the first part of the novel is he starts becoming a an author of stories and gets published and becomes like not world famous, but like famous enough that people other you know, people want to come over to his house and hang so out. Lo- locally famous, yeah. Uh, maybe continental famous. Ooh, continental kind of famous. Yeah. Okay. Um, but no, the book is deeply ableist because he uses a wheelchair, and the I gotta wheel- imagine he's just the butt of stupid jokes all the time too. I don't know if look. I don't, I don't know. It's not even jokes. It's that like the wheelchair is like a symbol for. At times, the wheelchair is a symbol for the industrial world crushing nature. Like, literally, like, he is in, he's using his chair, and it's, like, running over beautiful flowers. And there's this big, there's this big climactic scene where after she has started her affair with the, with the gamekeeper, and she's walking around with Clifford, and his motorized wheelchair breaks. It's like, it's got, like, an engine on it, I think. And it breaks as it's going uphill and they have to call for the gamekeeper to like come help him. And it's just like this. I don't I did not like that scene for I understood what it was doing dramatically because it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, Clifford doesn't know about the affair and it's putting them all in the same space and make the mm -hmm. tensions are really high. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I don't know, maybe we didn't need to use his, you know, his paralysis after the war as like a metaphor for the ineffectual aristocracy. And now he's just some guy who can only live in his head. He's just a mind now. And like, that's what's one of the things that's wrong with the world, according to our horny gamekeeper who may or may not be a stand in for DH Lawrence. Yeah. Like, I mean, that is a thing that DH Lawrence was preoccupied with yeah i ran in, i ran into that while i was reading about him the what the the, the, the mind just like, body divide the, stuff yeah we're yeah. just we were just too involved 
with experiencing the world as brains and not enough as bodies. Yep, yep. That's a big theme of the book. Uh, Which I is think... like a, it's an interesting way to think about like sexual liberation, but yes, yes, not in not not in this specific context. I don't think. No, I want to give a shout out to an article that I read on Book Riot um, by Grace Lapointe, the enduring ableism of Lady Chatterley's lover, um, who says. Uh, you know, it's infamous for explicit sex scenes. Many readers consider it feminist for frankly depicting a woman's sexual desires. Mm-hmm. Among disabled readers, it's infamous for its ableism. As a disabled woman, I'll never consider it fam- uh, feminist. A female non-disabled character's sexual liberation shouldn't be at the expense of disparaging a disabled male character. Um, and she goes on from there to kind of itemize it. And I was really grateful for how she talked about the class stuff as well. Because, like, I get the plot function of like okay he cannot have sex yeah and so the whole air question now is like a functional part of her journey in the book right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and there are other ways you could have done that i'm sure but like i think what lawrence is is like starting with is that he's not like an abusive monster he's not a bluebeard fairy tale evil husband mm-hmm. right um but the way he depicts the, the way that the disability is used um kind of to like drive home this point about class is kind of right because yeah it's not not just used to give give a woman a like semi sem- sympathetic reason to like go outside the marriage looking for looking yep. for the love experience yep. <laughs> it yes. also is used as a complex and unflattering metaphor about, uh huh, about like I guess like what is it? Is he saying it would have been better for this guy to die than to be um, riding around in this modern contrivance? Like, I don't I, know I'm not sure what his point is, but he's, he's not saying anything specific about that guy, and I think that's okay. probably right. the problem. Yeah. Is that that guy is representative? Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, about a third of the way through the book. Connie who's just kind of like she's not she's she's already had an affair with an Irish playwright um who she w- w- thought she might be really into for a long period of time um but then he said a bunch of messed up stuff about how modern ladies uh don't orgasm at the same time as men and like why can't they just you know like go along to get along they're always you know making guys work for it and stuff and <sighs> It was really. He said it like I right mean, after they had sex. <laughs> she I mean, was not into it. It's cool. This book is almost a hundred years old, but this guy could have a, like a Netflix special now. Honestly, probably. Andrew, you could probably just have a Netflix special called like Triggered or something. There are would, yeah multiple passages in this book that feel like modern Netflix, like bad Netflix, specials. like weird white white guy comedy. Okay, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't. Um, the other thing about the gamekeeper, uh, Melor, like he is this like robust man who works with his hands and he's a same tender lover. And same. he is, uh, he, he could, he could choose to speak like refined English, but sometimes he just wants to be himself and speak in dialect, you know? Same. Yeah. It's kind of the metaphors <laughs> breaking down, right? Um, and he is this like, you know, like 
I don't, he's not a paragon. He is just like, he is the, and he's not quite the opposite of Clifford, but he is presented as like, you know, a, a very different choice for Connie. Cause I think the opposite mm-hmm. of Clifford is actually uh, Melor's wife, who he wants to get divorced from, who is this like, oh, everybody talks about her like she's basically uh, feral. Like she's yeah. this feral lady who he was so happy to get away from. And uh, Clifford is the extreme, like he's only a mind and she is only a body. And then like our two mm-hmm. main characters are somewhere in between sort of sure. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like, yeah, we like, I do we like him? I don't know. Connie likes sleeping with him and then they fight and then they have more sex and then they touch and like laugh a lot and talk, you know, call each other's genitalia names and like, you know, put flowers on them and stuff and have a good sounds, time. Sounds complicated. And and then he'll like go on a rant about how he's sorted all women by like their five different responses to sex uh-huh. or something. And you're it's like, also a cool, a super cool type five that this guy's working really on. Really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, and he he has a lot of feelings about how we should return to nature and like we should. He's like post communist in a sense that like he doesn't believe that like the capitalist system needs to just go away. He's like, we need to stop even thinking about money entirely as a society. Like we just need to reconnect to nature and, you know, have some good sex. And, but he's also like, he doesn't believe that anybody who exists in society currently is capable of that. So he, before he met Connie, he was like, I don't want to deal with anybody. Feels like he just doesn't have helpful suggestions. No, he's not a. And like in the later parts of the book, when they're dealing with the ramifications of their affair, he is like, "I wish I could kill my wife and your husband, and this would be done." And she's like, "Maybe don't wish that." (sighs) So he's a complicated. Tell me, Omuse, about a complicated man. Keep that one on the inside, bud. Yeah, that's a that's an inside thought. Yeah, if you have to have that thought, please have it inside. I feel like we've covered a couple of like the big reasons why somebody might talk about this book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, There's a whole bunch of plot here. It's not a short book. I was going to say, like we talked a lot about character. We talked a little bit about the, the sex in it, which is like, how interesting is it as a, as a narrative? Like what, what is it doing beyond uh, what, like commenting on modern society and like, being about the love experience. <laughs> I'm so glad that we've la- I love it when we get to latch on to words to, to a thing. book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um no, so like I don't know. It I don't know that I could say like it's doing something wildly uh, adventurous plot-wise that I haven't encountered before. It reminds sure. me of a lot of books and stories that we've covered on the pod or that I've encountered elsewhere that are about an independent woman who or or a woman who is trying to find some form of independence and she's bumping up against the limits around her and there are people in the world who are like encouraging her to be different things and she's not sure where she wants to go so that is Mm -hmm. like Connie's journey she seems at home and interested in nature uh in contrast with clifford who over the course of the novel 
um, both becomes baby and becomes boss baby. <laughs> Ooh. So when uh, about a third of the way through the book, she's closed out her affair with the you know tight five Irish guy, and <laughs> Connie's hanging out with her sister, and she's like, people are kind of noticing that Connie like physically doesn't look right like she just kind of is like withering away in that yeah. in that way that a novel can say someone's withering away without being specific uh-huh and it's just you see they're just reflecting an inner turmoil without <laughs> yes yeah mm-hmm. and this is after multiple conversations with her father where he's like you should probably just bone somebody like, I know you can't have sex in your marriage, so you should probably just bone somebody. Love to get advice from my dad. <laughs> uh-huh. And even she goes on a walk with Clifford, and Clifford's like, man, I feel like a lot of our anxieties would go away if we had a kid. If you wanted to have a kid, we could talk about it. Yeah. Because he's he's got, like, a whole philosophy where you can, like, separate the sex from the marriage. And like they have a marriage, but she could go have sex. Well, did people by by nineteen? I guess people by nineteen twenty eight would have understood how sexual reproduction happens. Like we're we're not still in yeah. The, this isn't in stork the, territory. No, and this this isn't like oh, I, the the mud and the the fishes must come from the mud, and I don't understand <laughs> how people reproduce. This isn't that phase of biology. It would almost be a good thing if you had a child by another man. If we brought it up at Ragby, it would belong to us and to the place. I don't believe very intensely in fatherhood. If we had the child to rear, it would be our own and it would carry on. Don't you think it's worth considering? You and I are interwoven in a marriage. If we stick to that, we ought to be able to arrange this sex thing as we arrange going to the dentist since fate has given us a checkmate physically there. Thanks, Cliff! Hey, baby, baby, listen, before we engage in a love experience, I just need you to know, I don't believe very intensely in being in being a father. Yeah. So I just think that I just think this is something I need to be upfront about. So early in the book, people are already being like, what if you just like had some sex with people? And so yeah, obviously she's thinking about it. Uh, her sister convinces her to hire this woman, Mrs. Bolton, to like be the live in nurse for Cliff so that uh, Connie doesn't have to do a lot of that stuff. The wrinkle there is that I I think if I remember correctly, Mrs. Bolton was like his childhood nursemaid. So like he already knows her and has this weird baby relation. Like Mrs. Bolton <laughs> talks a lot about men being babies. Men are babies. Yeah. And by the end of the book, like he is legit being baby with her. And I'm not mm-hmm. kidding. Like all of the language is about him like putting his head on her chest and just snuggling yeah. but not in a sexual way mm-hmm. and yet as he become more baby uh he, he has more baby? he has taken on a really active role in the coal pits as a like engineer and is like trying to revitalize the industry there so that the workers don't go on strike mm-hmm. and he can you know earn money off of the land and turn it into electricity that he can sell because nobody's Mm -hmm. powering machines with coal anymore. But if he can sell it into the electrical grid, then he can make money. This is the thing that all babies are worried about is just power generation. (laughs) It's just really wild. The, the, the things that this book says happen to people in that. 
That baby. passage exists. He is becoming baby. more baby, and he is also becoming a leader of men. Baby in the sheets, tycoon in <laughs> tycoon in the streets. <laughs> Connie, is, you know, starts as this woman who doesn't really know what she wants, who uh, is kind of frustrated with by with men, frustrated with women equally, is trying to find her place in the world. And when she finally starts spending time with uh, Oliver Merrill, the gamekeeper, she discovers him at this, like, hut where he's, like, building a little place to keep pheasants. Mm-hmm. And they, like, fight a little bit. And then <laughs> okay. and then they have some sex because she, like, is so repressed that she holds, like, a baby chicken and starts crying. And he's like, let's have sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, I'm into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And most of, the, most of the sex scenes with her go through this like cycle of her not knowing whether or not she wants to like give herself over emotionally to someone and like is she being subservient is she taking the lead in in some acts is she uh like when is she vulnerable and when is she strong and just like She's working through all of that in every single sex scene in this mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it is interesting to watch her then, like, earlier in the book when she's with her sister Hilda. And Hilda's like, you should hire that guy's uh, old nursemaid so that you can have some more time to yourself. And then later, she's going on this big trip to Venice, which is part of the last act of, of when the book starts to get really plotty. Sure. Um, P-L-O-T-T-Y. Plotty, yes, yeah. plotty. Um, and she's on the way to Italy with her sister, and she's like, her sister knows about the affair, uh, and she's like, really not taking any gruff from her sister anymore. And she's become this any, like... Any guff? Any, oh, did I say gruff? Yeah, you said taking any gruff. <laughs> she's not taking any gruff... What is that dog's name? McGruff, McGruff. the crime dog? <laughs> She's not taking any McGruff from her sister. They are Scottish. McGruff? Uh-huh. That, guy's in, that guy's in the Scottish play, right? McGruff? McGruff. <laughs> uh, the Scottish dog. Yeah, the Scottish dog. Mm-hmm. Um, Bankwoof. She is... You know, and at one no, point she go. like... yeah. Decides that she's not even going to go back to Wagby or Ragby to be with her husband. She's going to, you know, she's pregnant at this point, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the last, like, third of the book where it is really like, oh, no, things are happening, does feel a bit different from the first half, which is this kind of, no, no pun intended, like, miasma of feelings Ooh. where... Uh, it is about like, you know, what is this marriage going to be? Am I going to find fulfillment elsewhere? Does she, what does she even do? Like she doesn't have a calling in the community there. You know, there's a lot of things about society that just don't give her anything to do. Mm-hmm. And she ultimately finds this like sense of self through this physical relationship with this guy. Yeah. Um, and then it becomes a, a book in which the guy's estranged wife like showed up on his doorstep and he wouldn't let her in. So then she broke in naked and got in his bed and now he moved out. And now Mm -hmm. she's telling everybody in town that he's like sleeping with other ladies because he is. And 
he you know he gets fired from his job and then she's pregnant and she's gonna keep the baby and are they gonna make it chatterley's baby unclear (laughs) and she has to go back and like tell him to give her a divorce and he's when she finally admits that it's actually the gamekeepers which was not the plan it was supposed to be like pretend someone else's yeah mm-hmm. then he's like no i'm never giving you a divorce shut up i hate yeah, this right. this sucks mm-hmm. i'm gonna mm-hmm. go be boss baby now which is in- interesting to <laughs> to be like yeah i don't believe strongly in fatherhood just in theory and then but but in practice to to find he, out that you feel a different way yeah 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 um it ends, I did like how it ended structurally. Mm-hmm. It ends with, and this, there's like none of this in the first half of the book, but there's a lot of letters in the second half because she's like gone to Italy and whatever. Just like, it, how is that presented? Is it just like a line break and then a letter begins? In, a, or? in italics, yeah. Okay, you know. all right, all right. Um, I read, uh, for reference, I read the Alma Classics edition published out of the UK from 2015. Um, I was looking for... Another, you know, we're reading this because it passed in the public domain in the United States just this year. Oh man, um, we should have mentioned that before minute yeah. forty-eight. <laughs> Whoops! Huh. I Whoops. didn't have like a take on it. Otherwise, I would I would have brought it. Didn't up, need but... to be. It didn't need to be, be a take, but that could have been our intro. Can we? Can we go back and do that? Uh, can we be like, oh hey, public domain month continues. Last week we read Pooh Corner, and now continuing in our exploration of. <laughs> so... Oh, here's something funny. <laughs> okay, a lot of the characters in this book. Uh, occupy the pubic domain. Moving on. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, now I got you warmed up your full ideas. <laughs> the pubic um, domain. But I was like looking around for other editions, and this I, I saw a lot of print editions that were like pre order now <laughs> because everybody's like ready to not have to pay royalties on it. Thing about the pubic domain is you don't have to wait. 95 years to 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 enter that to enter this you know what i mean no this book is arguing that you should enter it right now <laughs> give up your reliance on machines and money and love because it's ruining society mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um no it does end on you know this. what the, pu- the public domain and the pubic domain do have in common though what? is that walt disney hates both of them <laughs> idiot Okay. <laughs> it ends with this letter from the gamekeeper Oliver Meller uh who is so like all of the the Sturm and Drang of the of the final plot machinations are that he is trying to get a divorce from his wife so that he can marry Connie Chatterley after uh-huh. she gets her divorce and mm-hmm. they can raise their kid mm-hmm. and go off somewhere who the heck knows. Yeah. And so he's like got a job at a farm somewhere trying to lay low, trying not to get in trouble so that the courts won't deny his divorce. Mm-hmm. She can't come out publicly and say that it's his kid because that will ruin the, the the whole divorce proceedings, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And he's this guy who the whole book has been like, listen, I didn't really want to be in love with or have sex with anybody ever again. But you really tapped into the part of me that thinks that's the most important thing in the world. <laughs> So the book ends on this letter from him that is like, I'm waiting. Here's what's going on with my life. And I don't know what's going to happen to us, but I know that we will be together. And here's, I'm going to do beeps, if that's okay. Because there's like some F words here. Just like in the edit? Or are you going to no, like gonna say, say beep with your mouth? Okay. Maybe is, think, of, think about putting them in for the edit. But let's go. 
but he writes this letter and it's like clear that he does have genuine feeling for her, yeah. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My soul softly flaps in the little Pentecost flame with you like the piece of beeping. <laughs> we beeped a flame into being. Even the flowers are beeped into being between the sun and the earth. But it's a delicate thing and takes patience and the long pause. So I love chastity now because it is the peace that comes of beeping. I love being chased now. I love it as snowdrops love the snow. I love this chastity, which is the pause of peace of our beeping between us now like a snowdrop of forked white fire. And when this real spring comes, when the drawing together comes, then we can beep the little flame brilliant and yellow. Brilliant. (laughs) Jeez. So he does care for her. I don't know that I care for him, but he cares for her. Sure. And I think that might be another thing that could have people struggle with this book is just that like there is a there's a connie to root for but she's really she can be really contradictory Mm -hmm. and kind of uh tough at times but you i think you root for her but most of it it's still tough and i i find it hard to root for anyone else in the book Mm -hmm. um so that that can be a I think for this for a book where you're like oh it's like sexually liberating and ladies taking a stand you're like yeah I don't know if I like any of these people yeah actually these people kind of seem like they suck maybe yeah but I mean everybody sucks you know when you think bit. about it it's very it's very human of that's them all true to suck so bad yeah so yeah I mean that's I I had a lot of thoughts while reading it. <laughs> And I didn't dislike it, but I I, I recognize that I never I don't need to read it again. Sure, that's fine. That's that's the way I feel about a lot of books. It's like yeah, I'm I'm glad to have read this, and I don't need to revisit it. Yeah. Um, I'm just like, what are what? How can we put a cap on this? And we already we already used all the good pubic domain material. Just. That's a good point. I don't know. What's okay? So Lady Chatterley's in the public domain now. What do we? What do we? Where do we? Where do we put her? Oh, where Where do we put her? Aside from our Smash Brothers public domain fighting game. Okay, and she would behave like an anime fighter. Like she would be like, she would be very in touch with her body. Okay, so what kind of, yeah, what 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 are some of the moves and stuff that she could do in our Smash Brothers style public domain fighting? Well, she would have different fighting styles and one uh-huh. of them would be the Italian style. The Italian style. <laughs> Obviously, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um she would, you know, there she would have something to there was one passage I thought I had it copied and I don't know that I I actually pulled the Oh, here it is. Um, she would have a move that channels this feeling, Andrew. Mm-hmm. The um, Then began again the unspeakable motion that was not really motion, but pure deepening whirlpools of sensation swirling deeper and deeper through all her tissue and consciousness till she was one perfect concentric fluid of feeling, and she lay there crying in unconscious inarticulate cries, the voice out of the uttermost night, the life. That's her ultimate, I think. That's her final smash, yeah. That's her final smash, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just making people feel things. Probably some yeah. nature abilities as well. Because mm-hmm. she's in touch with the natural world. Sure. Um All I can think about is like Pooh when Pooh flies, he would become he would oh. be holding the balloon and he'd become the rain cloud. Oh yeah. 
uh-huh. like when he's trying to get back onto the stage after he's been knocked off. He probably uses like like a pot. Like he's got, he, yeah, pots, honey, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Smackerels. He's. Do you think he's got a lot of a lot of moves that summon other characters? Yeah, I think he's. I think he definitely gets assists from like Piglet and Tigger and all the gang. Now that now that we can That's have Tigger his up in the game, B. Tigger yeah. like lifts him up. Yeah, boing, mm. boing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Lady Chatterley's up B is though. I don't. I don't know what Lady <laughs> Chatterley's she, up B is. Eventually, maybe that's maybe this is a bonus episode. Is our our, our game jam discussion for all the like the character designs GM, for GM, our GM, public GM, domain GM, GM. fighting game? Yeah, nobody can take any of these. Even though we're using public domain works, that's true. Our new work is yeah, not that's correct. Public domain yet. Yeah. yeah. So, um, thank you for letting me tell you about Lady Chatterley's lovers. You're welcome. As well yeah, as the like, book Lady Chatterley's you know, Lover. Sometimes when we talk about like a a dragon sex book for four hours mm-hmm. and we talk about Lady Chatterley's lover for 55 minutes, I worry that we've not done justice to to the work. But we had what well, we talked. You said you had a lot of thoughts. We talked about all the thoughts you had, right? Yeah, I I could. I could have more in-depth discussion, I think, about some of the like the ways the thoughts in this book are laid out and like Mm -hmm. how people, Oh, I guess the other thing I didn't really say, good question there is something that I don't think you and I would ever have a reaction to reading this book that I certainly have to put, I have to put a British hat on when I watched Downton Abbey is the end. Oh, gov. Oh, I watch him Downton Abbey and take take him to the lorry. Then fish and chips, (laughs) uh, is the, I think, and I think, I thought this was going to be the more scandalous part of it, but then I was like, whoa, they say the F-bomb and the C-bomb in here, mm-hmm. is that it is a cross-class relationship. Sure, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a... Where if we're British readers, we're like, oh, they have slightly different accents. That must be hard. <laughs> it's, it's not just <laughs> that it is an adulterous affair. It is an adulterous affair that crosses class lines in this community where like class is really important um and so that it was that it was a book that was so sexually explicit on top of a oh my god i can't believe that she would sleep with him type of relationship yeah um that that compounds it and i think is is an interesting like the fact that penguin's trial was a little bit about like it turned on a l- class a yeah little bit. a little bit yeah. is kind of interesting so. that and that, it's also interesting like if you if you are somebody who is scandalized by this book there's lots of room to be like secretly actually scandalized by the other thing but yes. then to use the <laughs> yes. other thing as your as your cover that's yes uh-huh. like i'm scandalized by the sex content of this book but mostly i'm actually secretly mad about the class stuff and vice versa yes i think you're totally right about that mm-hmm. yeah um, well, that's it. That's the only thing that anybody could ever say about Lady Charlie's Lover. Okay, we did we it. Covered 100%. it all. We hundred percent Lady Charlie's Lover. Hope you all had a lovely experience listening. Mm-hmm. Send us an email uh, about it. Overduepod at gmail dot com. You can find us on social media at Overduepod or whatever the platform's variation of that is, depending on which platform you're using. Thanks to David, Robert, Liesel, Becky, Morgan, and Sarah for reaching out. In the last week, our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our 
home on the internet AOL keyword overdue. If you go to that, <laughs> if you go to that website, you, we got a little streaming player you can use to to play the the show. If you don't have like a podcatcher, uh, there's a download link there. If you want the MP3 file for any reason, we've got some. We've got friends who have like little boxes for their kids where they have to they download MP3 files and like load them up so their kids can listen to kid podcasts. Which you will definitely a, have done with this episode for sure. Yeah, definitely with this episode. I'm just saying like like it's there and it's not a thing that every podcast thinks about, but we thought about. 2024 it, so. is the year of physical media. If you are burning our podcast onto a disc onto so that you can CD have it later, yeah, mm-hmm. I respect it. Yeah, maybe we should. When we have the when the merch store comes back, we'll just do. <laughs> we'll sell We'll sell like a fifty CD spindle of the entire. Show. Here's the first episode of Overdue on vinyl. Enjoy. Yeah. No, it has to be fifty like <laughs> Philips CDs that we've written on in Sharpie marker. <clears throat> just an authentic experience. Uh, patreon.com slash overdue pods our patreon page if you subscribe there you get access to our discord server i believe voting is ongoing for our uh the overdue awards for yep. 2023 odies. odies yep uh jim davis this is not this does not have anything to do with you please step away oh speaking of voting i probably should have said this was one of our two patrons choice episodes for the month oh um you can find out more about how to vote on at least one book uh, a month in our schedule at patreon.com slash overdue pod. Eventually we're going to record something like that Seinfeld episode where it's backwards yeah. and we just, <laughs> we should let's try that. Um, also get bonus episodes early, uh, get long read episodes early. We're going to be releasing more stop Homer time very soon. Uh, including, do we want to tease the, the interview? Should we just do that? I mean, we did quick? an interview. We did an interview with Emily Wilson. We're going to publish it on Patreon pretty soon. Yeah. Eventually, it'll go out on the main feed, but don't you want to hear it early? Patreon.com slash Overdue Pod. Next week, I'm going to be reading The Witch Elm by Tana French, also a patron's choice episode. Yeah. I'm excited to go back to the world of Tana French. It's been a long time. I'm excited to go back to French class. And this is one of her standalones. It's not part of a series. So like that, Mm -hmm. I think that'll be easy for us to dive into. So Yeah. yeah. All right, everybody, until we talk to you next week, thank you so much for listening and try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.